0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, Thank you, as always, for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our final Primavera match of the season. In Part 2, I'll review our final femminile match of the season, and in Part 3, we'll return to the senior team and preview their final match of the season, which is against Spezia on Sunday. So let's begin with the Primavera who played against Hellas Verona on Sunday. We came into this match sitting 13th in the table, level with Milan on 40 points, 2 points clear of Genoa, and 3 points clear of Lecce. Lecce and Genoa were the two teams in the relegation playout zone, so all we needed was a draw to guarantee ourselves salvation. Alternatively, if Milan won and Lecce didn't, we would still stay up with a draw. We'd have to do it against one of the most informed clubs in Primavera 1, though. Hellas Verona came into this match having lost only one of their previous nine matches. Their most recent result was easily their best of the season. They absolutely slaughtered Bologna 6-0 to guarantee themselves salvation, which was probably a good thing for us. It meant that Hellas Verona had nothing left to play for in this match. Meanwhile, we were coming off of arguably our most disappointing match of the season, We had a 3-1 lead against second from bottom Spal and conceded three straight goals to lose 4-3. Even a draw in that match would have been enough for us to stay up. In other words, even if we conceded two goals and tied 3-3, that would have been enough, but we couldn't even hold on to the draw. Not only did we lose the match, but we also lost two key players. Both Daniel Hisai and Antonio Vergara were suspended for this match, having picked up their 50 yellow cards in that match against Spal. The Vergara suspension was a tough pill to swallow considering he's one of our best players and that he was cautioned in the 87th minute. They would join Antonio Chofi and Musa Mane on the sidelines. Both Trophy and Mane were out due to injury. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Hellas Verona lined up in a 4-3-3 with Luca Patuzzo in goal. Jarenson Ebengue and Davide Redondi started at centre-back. Filippo Grassi started at left-back and Filippo Terracciano started at right-back. Yoselito played as the Regista with Christian Piero Monte his left and Andrea Colistra to his right. Mattia Florio started on the left wing. Davide Bragantino started on the right wing. And Federico Caia played at striker. For Napoli, Nicolo Frustalupi made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Spal. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Huberti Daszak in goal. Pasquale Pontillo started over the suspended Daniel Hisai in the back three alongside Davide Costanzo and Benedetto Barba. Colisacco returned from suspension to start in the center of the midfield alongside Gennaro Iacchirino. Davide Acampas started at left wing back and Matteo Marquisano started again at right wing back. That's because Giuseppe D'Agostino had to move up to play Trequartista for the injured trophy. Alessandro Spavone also moved up to Trequartista to play in place of the suspended Vergara. Finally, Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. The match couldn't have started any better, really. In just the second minute of the match, Ambrosino pressured Redondi into conceding possession deep in the Verona half. He carried into the area, and before Abengue could close him down, he rolled the ball under Patuzzo and into the bottom corner. That was Ambrosino's league-leading 19th goal of the campaign. Ambrosino celebrated by taking off his shirt and holding it up to the fans at the corner flag, which is an automatic yellow card. So only two minutes into the match, Napoli were already ahead and in a strong position to avoid the relegation playout. Unfortunately, just as quickly as we went ahead, Hellas Verona found the equalizer. Verona were awarded a penalty only a couple of minutes after that Ambrosino goal, Kaya had the ball in the area and he squared to Kalistra. He cleverly let the ball roll through to his back foot and took a quick touch just before Sacco got there. kalistra was looking for the contact, got it, and went to ground. You hate to see players playing just for penalties, but this was actually a very mature play by Colistro to win the penalty. Kaya stepped up and sent Idasiak the other way to level the score, so 5 minutes into the match, the score was already 1-1. Meanwhile, in Milano, Milan's star player in the making Marco Nasti scored his 15th goal of the season to put Milan ahead of Genoa 1-0, so at that point, Milan had moved ahead of us in the table, but Genoa and Lecce were still behind us. That didn't last very long, though. Less than 10 minutes later, Genoa were awarded a penalty kick, which was converted by Michele Bezzaggio to make the score 1-1 in that match, so with that goal, we moved back ahead of Milan in the table. Back in Napoli, we exchanged half chances with Verona. In the 18th minute, D'Agostino played the ball out wide to Ambrosino, but Patuzzo intercepted Ambrosino's low cross that was intended for Spavone. A few minutes later, Piero Bon tried a shot from distance, but Idasic made a comfortable save. Napoli almost immediately came back the other way with D'Agostino dribbling through a number of blue shirts in the area, but his shot finished well over the bar. The final couple of chances in the half fell for Hellas Verona. Just past the midway point of the half, Bragantini put a powerful shot on target, but Idasiek was well positioned to make the save. Then in the 35th minute, Grassi's shot from the edge of the area was redirected by Colistra, but the ball popped up and Idasiek was able to make the catch. That was the final chance for either side in the half, which ended 1-1. Meanwhile, back in Milano, Genoa scored just before the break to take a 2-1 lead into the half, Lecce Torino remained scoreless so at halftime we were tied with Genoa on 41 points Milan were on 40 points and Lecce were on 38 points the second half started quite well for us only two minutes after the restart Yakarino switched the play to Costanzo on the left wing he crossed the ball into the area and Sacco won the header but he caught a little bit too much of the goal and forced a fine save from Patuzzo Meanwhile, Milan's halftime substitute Yunz El Hilali scored the equalizer for Milan in the 52nd minute. So at that point, Milan, Genoa, and Lecce were all still below us in the table. Unfortunately, from that point forward, everything seemed to unravel. First in Lecce, Dario Daka opened the scoring for Lecce just a minute after that goal in Milano. That didn't really change anything in terms of the standings at that point in time, but it did put extra pressure on us not to lose against Hellas Verona. That didn't seem like a tall order, because in truth, Hellas Verona were playing with no urgency whatsoever. It was clear to me that they had no intention of playing spoiler. They were just kind of sitting back and going through the motions. Then we had a big moment in the 56th minute. Marquezano carried the ball into the area, and he appeared to be fouled, but the penalty wasn't given. This was another case where VAR probably would have awarded a penalty had there been VAR in the Primavera, because there was definitely contact on the play. About 10 minutes later, Milan went back ahead of Genoa on an absolutely stunning direct free kick by Giovanni Robotti into the top corner. At the same time, in fact, in the same minute, Daka scored his second of the match to give Lecce a 2-0 lead. So with about 25 minutes left to play, Milan were back ahead of us on 43 points, we were on 41 points, Lecce were on 40 points, and Genoa were on 38 points, so we were still in the clearer. Back in Napoli, the Azzurini continued to push forward, but we took a major blow in the 66th minute. Ambrosino made a great play dribbling around substitute Alfaggio Cisse on the right wing towards the byline. His cross was pushed out by Patuzzo and Verona countered through Florio. Ambrosino raced back and ran into the back of Florio, breaking up the attack. Ambrosino was cautioned for the tackle, which I think was probably the correct decision, and as a result, he was sent off. Now, even if you disagree with this decision, Ambrosino had no one to blame but himself. Nothing is more frustrating for me than when a player gets a yellow card for taking off his shirt. It is a bit of a silly rule, but it's also the easiest rule to comply with. All you have to do is keep your shirt on. It's not that difficult. I don't even mind if players do stuff like that after they score an important goal late in the match, but to take your shirt off in the second minute is just irresponsible. As a result, we had to play the final quarter of the match with only 10 men. Even after the red card though, Verona didn't seem all that interested in winning the match, but of course, they took the one chance that was given to them. Two Verona substitutes combined on the goal, Otto Kempine crossed the ball into the area from the right wing, I don't know what Idasiak was thinking because he came off his line to catch the ball but didn't get anywhere near it. Perhaps he didn't think that Davide Flacus could get to the ball but he did and as a result Idasiak was left in no man's land. That goal was scored in the 83rd minute. Moments prior to that Milan added a 4th goal with Nasty scoring his 2nd goal of the match and his 16th goal of the season. So with less than 10 minutes left to play Milan were on 43 points. We were tied with Lecce on 40 points, and Genoa were on 38 points. However, because Lecce had a better goal differential than us, that Flacu's goal put us in the relegation playout zone with Genoa. Now, Torino did pull one back late against Lecce, but despite nearly 10 minutes of stoppage time in that match, they were not able to equalize. Meanwhile, Frustalupi emptied his bench to jumpstart the attack, But down a man, we really struggled to create chances. And in the end, the match finished 2-1 in favor of Verona. So with Milan beating Genoa 4-2 and Lecce beating Torino 2-1, we will have to play against Genoa in the relegation playout. The playout is two legs. The first leg will be played in Genoa on Friday the 20th. So that match may be over by the time you hear this. The second leg will be played in Napoli on Saturday the 26th. Presumably, Ambrosino will miss the first leg because of that red card. On Monday, the young striker acknowledged his mistake at the Gran Gala Primavera where he was presented with the award for best striker in Primavera 1. He said he won this award thanks to the help of his coach and his teammates. He also thanks Spalletti for the call-ups. He said being Napolitano, wearing the Napoli shirt is a great source of pride. I'd be curious to see if he has called up for the senior team's match against Spezia. As I said, the Primavera play on Friday, so he can still attend the match to support his teammates. But since he can't play on Friday, he'd be well-rested to play with the senior team on Sunday. Meanwhile, the senior team have nothing left to play for. So if there was ever a match to play the kids, this would be the one. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our final femminile match of the season. I'm Alex Rodriguez. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our final Feminile match of the season, which was a derby against Pomigliano. We came into this match sitting third from the bottom of the table, one point behind Pomigliano. That meant we needed a win to stay up, a draw or a loss would result in relegation. Pomigliano weren't exactly in the best form heading into this match, they were winless in their previous five, with four losses, one draw, and only three goals scored. Even the one draw was against relegation-bound Lazio, and they were held off the score sheet in three out of those five matches. Meanwhile, we were coming off of consecutive important results, first an unexpected draw against Sassuolo, and then a huge win over Empoli, which put us in a position to fight for survival. However, we were still missing a few key players for this match. Depi Chatsi Nicolau, Evy Popedinova, and Raquel Baldi all remained out due to injury. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Pomigliano lined up in a 4-3-3 with Sara Setinha in goal. Danielle Cox and Georgia Tudisco started at center back. Ex-Napoli player Martina Fusini started at left back and Gaia Apicella started at right back. Zana Ferrario played in the center of the midfield with Maria Banusic to her left and Lucia Vaitukaitite to her right. Dalila Ippolito played on the left wing and another ex-Napoli player Livia Caparelli played on the right wing. Finally, Victoria Della Peruta started at striker. For Napoli, Giulia Domenichetti and Roberto Castorina made one change to the squad that they fielded against Ampoli. They also switched to a 4-2-3-1 formation with Yolanda Aguirre in goal. Paola Di Marino and Lana Golob started at center back. Marie Awona started over Sedia Bramson at left back and Emily Garnier started again at right back. Emma Erico and Sara Tui played in the double pivot. Claudia Mauri played on the left wing, Kaya Ertzen played on the right wing, Eleonora Goldoni started in the 10, and Sola James played at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Pomigliano started really well, creating two quality chances in the opening 10 minutes. In the third minute, Di Marino carried the ball to midfield but passed straight to Vaito She sent Della Peruta through. Della Peruta fought off Mauri's tackle in the area, cut to her left, and had a go for goal but her shot hit the outside of the goal. Then in the 7th minute, Eriko committed a professional foul on Vaitukaitite. Eriko was actually fortunate not to be cautioned on the play. Banusic took the free kick and went direct for goal. Fortunately, she missed the target, though she didn't miss by much. Della Peruta came close again in the 20th minute after some tidy passing from Pomigliano, but her shot from distance just missed the bottom corner. So Pomigliano were creating many chances, but struggling to hit the target. Meanwhile, we didn't create as much in the attack, but when we did, we did hit the target. Goldoni had our first chance in the 15th minute. She volleyed from just inside the area, but Satinia just got a finger on the shot to keep it out. Our second shot on target was in the 28th minute, and that one ended up in the back of the goal. Tui played an outswinging corner kick from the right side. Vaituk Haiti to head the ball out at the near post, but only so far as Maori at the top of the box. Her volley was blocked by Apicella on the edge of the 6 yard box, but the rebound went straight to Golob. The center back calmly controlled the ball and rolled it past Cetinia to put Napoli ahead. That was Golob's first goal of the season, and it couldn't have come at a more opportune time. Now, I think it's safe to say that that goal was scored against the run of play. Pomigliano had one more chance in the half only a few minutes after the goal. Ippolito chipped the ball over the top to Banusic who got behind Di Marino but her shot was well stopped by Aguirre. Aguirre actually made another big save on Della Peruta in the half but she was in an offside position so the goal wouldn't have counted either way. It's also worth noting that in the 33rd minute, Saratui was forced to leave the match due to injury and was replaced by Emma Severini. So we went into the break up a goal to nil, which meant that at halftime, we were out of the relegation zone and Pomigliano were in it. Now, I thought we were far too conservative in the second half, and that only invited pressure from Pomigliano, who was already desperate to score. Pomigliano got their first chance in the second half after Goldoni committed a professional foul just outside the area. Banusic went direct for goal and hit the target, but Aguirre made what turned out to be a fairly routine save. Pomigliano came close again in the 57th minute when Fuzini's cross from the left wing veered on target, but Aguirre did really well to make the catch while preventing the ball from crossing the line. But with the pressure mounting, it seemed only a matter of time before Pomigliano found the back of the goal, and that moment came in the 61st minute. Apicella carried the ball down the right wing, she played a short pass to Kaitite, who in turn played an incisive ball to Banusic just outside the area, with her back to goal Banusic played a perfect one-touch pass to Della Peruta. She did well to stay onside and then smashed the ball into the top corner to make the score 1-1. That goal put us back in the relegation zone and started what turned out to be an Empoli-style meltdown for the men's team. Only four minutes after assisting the equalizer, Banusic put Pomigliano ahead. Golob tried to dribble out of the back and broadcast her pass to Severini, which was intercepted by Ippolito. She carried the ball to the edge of the Napoli area and then picked out Banosic with the outside of her right boot. Banosic took two touches to get past Aguirre before tucking the ball into the empty goal to give Pomiliano the lead. Awona was slow to react on both goals, so the decision by Domenichetti and Castorina to start Awona over Abramson turned out to be a poor one. Pomigliano put the final nail in the coffin five minutes later. The third goal came from a counterattack after Severini chipped the ball into the Pomigliano area. Tudisco had the ball clear and Pomigliano immediately broke the other way. Ippolito played a gorgeous long ball forward again with the outside of her right boot and then Banusic did the rest. She twisted and turned golo before curling her shot from the edge of the area just inside the right post. Aguirre had absolutely no chance to make the save on that shot. That was Banusic's second goal of the match to go along with the assist on the first goal, and it was Ipolito's second assist of the match. That goal was deservedly named the Serie A goal of the week as well, so with 20 minutes left to play, Napoli needed to score three goals to stay up that proved to be too tall of an order. In fact, Pomigliano nearly scored a fourth from a corner kick set piece in the 78th minute. Substitute Giuseppina Moraca played a short corner to Ippolito who dribbled past Severini before playing the ball back to Moraca. She hit the ball first time, but the ball was always rising and finished just over the bar. Napoli's substitute Romina Pina came close to pulling one back moments after that chance. Pomigliano got their wires mixed up at the back and that allowed Pina a free shot, but she just missed the bottom corner. We had a couple of half chances after that, but we weren't able to score a second, let alone a third or a fourth, so the match ended 3-1 in favor of the away side. With that loss, Napoli have been relegated to Serie B, which was really unfortunate, but I have to say it wasn't terribly surprising. This was always going to be a difficult season starting with the restructuring of the league. That meant that, unlike previous seasons where two clubs have been relegated, this season three clubs were relegated. That would make it difficult for any club, let alone a club that underwent as much change as we did. In the offseason, we replaced all but three of the players who fought to stay up last season, Then mid-season, we replaced our general manager, Nicolo Crisano, with Marco Zingauer. Shortly after that, we replaced our coach, Alessandro Pistolesi with two coaches in Giulia Domenichetti and Roberto Castorina. And then we made a few more changes in personnel during the winter break. On top of all of that, we have to consider that we are competing with a lot of clubs who are affiliated with their men's clubs, which means they have a lot more resources at their disposal. And you can see that all of those clubs are consistently rising to the top of the table. Personally, I also think it was a mistake to change the coach when we did, which is something I said at the time as well. Unfortunately, with the relegation, there will likely be even more changes in the offseason. In fact, we've already seen some of those changes. Goldoni posted a message on Instagram where she noted that experiences like these are good for growth. But she concluded by saying I'm leaving with my head held high with a piece of myself in the Neapolitan City. I think Goldoni has far too much quality to play in Serie B so I fully expect to see her with another Serie A club next season. It'll be interesting to see if any other players do the same. We also saw club president Raffaele Lello Carlino step down from his post in a statement posted on the club's official website, he said that this decision was not taken as a result of the club being relegated. He said there is an agreement with Napoli Femminile whereby the club president is elected by the board of directors every two years and that he would have stepped down even if the club achieved salvation. That said, he added that just as he was praised for the double promotion to Serie A, he feels responsible for the relegation, which was a consequence of the decisions that he made. So that ends the Serie Femminile season. As I said, there will probably be more changes to come over the summer. I'll keep an eye on the club, and I will keep you posted on any new developments. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll return to the men's team and preview our final match of the season, which is against Spezia. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? Welcome to part 3 of the Forza podcast. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of our match against Spezia on Sunday. The game will be played at 12.30 local time, which is 6.30 a.m. Eastern time for those of us in North America. This match is basically a friendly. Spezia have already achieved their goal of staying up. They're currently 16th in the table on 36 points and can finish as high as 14th if Empoli lose to Atalanta and Sampdoria lose to Inter. With a win, they would match their point total from last season of 39. Maybe there's a small financial incentive to finish higher up in the table, but I can't imagine the players will be all that motivated by it. If anything, they'll be motivated to put on a good show for their home fans. Likewise, Napoli have only superficial things to play for as well. The combination of our win and Inter's win last round means that we will finish the season in third place regardless of the outcome in this match or any other matches for that matter. We are currently on 76 points, so with a win, we would surpass our point total of 77 from last season. That'll be of particular interest for Luciano Spalletti, who will want to show an improvement over the previous season. I don't know why I was under the impression that Spalletti could only match Gattuso's point total from last season. He can actually surpass it. From a team standpoint, I think it's important that we don't drop points to Spezia twice in the same season. We've already dropped points to Empoli twice so that would not be a very good look. And of course, for a number of players, this could be their final game for Napoli. We know Lorenzo Insigne and Fauzi Gulam will not be back next season. It could be the final match for David Ospina, Alex Meret, Mario Rui, Fabian Ruiz. They've all been rumored to leave this summer. Dries Mertens hasn't renewed his contract either, but personally, I think they'll get a deal done. The latest is that he has agreed to take half the pay, but he wants assurances with respect to playing time. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Given what I said about neither club having much to play for, these lineups are extremely difficult to predict. Your guess is as good as mine, so I'm just going to go with the lineups that have been the most common for these clubs with a few tweaks here and there. Thiago Mota has used a number of different formations, but the most common is the 4-2-3-1. Ivan Providel will start in goal. Petko Hristov has been dealing with a calf injury, so I think we'll see Dimitrios Nikolaou and Martin Erlich start at center back. Arkadouz left the Udinese match with a knee issue, so we should see Salva Ferrer at left back and Kelvin Amian at right back. Giulio Maggiore and Jakub Kivior are the preferred options in the double pivot. With Simone Bastoni hurt and Emmanuel Giassi suspended, I think we'll see Kevin Agudello shift over to the left wing and Victor Kovalenko to play in the number 10. I think we'll see Napolitano Daniele Verde on the right wing and Ray Minai at striker. Now, with those absences on the left, we could also see a 3-4-2-1 with Nicolo Bertola joining Nicolao and Ehrlich at centre-back, Ferrer and Amian playing as wing-backs, Kovalenko and Agudelo as the trequartisti, and Verde on the bench. For Napoli, I'm going to give you my best guess, but I honestly have no idea who Spalletti is going to start I think he'll line up in a 4-2-3-1 with David Ospina in goal. I think Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rakmani should start again at center back, but I definitely would not be surprised to see Juan Jesus get an appearance at some point, maybe even from the first minute. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that Spalletti changes both his fullbacks. This is Fauzi Gulam's final match for Napoli, so I think he will start over Mario Rui, even though it could also be Mario Rui's final match. Mario Rui has played all season, so I don't think he would mind a break. Meanwhile, I think Spalletti might give Giovanni Di Lorenzo a rest as well. Di Lorenzo only just recently returned from injury, and though I have no doubt that he's physically capable of playing, I think this is also an opportunity to give Alessandro Zanoli some important minutes. I fully expect Zanoli to be our backup right back next season. I also think we'll see one change in the midfield. On the assumption that Fabian Ruiz could be up for sale this summer, I'm going to say that Stanislav Lobotka and Andre Frank Zambo Anguisa will start in the double pivot. By the way, De Laurentiis just confirmed this week that Napoli have exercised their option to purchase Angisa from Fulham for 15 million euros. I think Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing and Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. On Wednesday, the club announced that Chucky Lozano returned to Mexico to have surgery on the shoulder he injured playing for Mexico on February 3rd. On Friday, the club confirmed that the surgery was a success. It was carried out by Dr. Cisneros Garcia under the supervision of health manager Dr. Rafael Canonico. Lozano will rest for a few days before beginning rehab. Now, if the surgery is similar to the one that Dries Mertens had, it should take Lozano about three months to recover and get back to full fitness. Mertens had his shoulder surgery shortly after Belgium was eliminated from the Euros, which was in early July, and he returned to the squad in early October. A similar recovery schedule would have Lozano return in late August, though Lozano is nearly 10 years younger than Mertens, so hopefully he recovers quicker. The 2022-23 campaign is expected to start in mid-August because of the extended break for the World Cup, so a three-month recovery would mean that he would miss the first few matches of the season. Back to the lineup, I think we'll see Dries Mertens start in the 10 again. Mertens has become the regular starter over Zelensky, and like Fabian, If there's a possibility that Zielinski could be sold in the summer, the club will probably err on the side of caution. Finally, I think Victor Osiman will play again at Stryker. On Friday, he was named the Serie A Young Player of the Year, which the league defines as any player under 23 years of age. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our keys to the match. I have only two keys to the match for you today. The first is that we should use this opportunity to give some other players some time to play, We don't necessarily need them to start, but hopefully we can reward guys like Juan Jesus, Fauzi Gulam, Diego Demme, and Andrea Petagna for being professionals and always making themselves available when needed, rather than complaining about a lack of playing time. As I mentioned in Part 1, I would love to see Giuseppe Ambrosino get some minutes. Unfortunately, he's probably the only Primavera player who could feature in this match. The Primavera played the first leg of the relegation playout on Friday, so any players who featured in that match will not likely be fit enough to play by Sunday, also I doubt Nicolo Frustalupi will want to risk any of his players getting injured for what is basically a friendly match, if that's the case Ambrosino might not feature in this match either. My second key to the match is that we need to take it easy which I think is easier said than done, I know our performances might sometimes suggest otherwise but the truth is these guys are ultra competitive. So, even though this is basically a friendly match, I'm sure our players will still want to win it, which is perfectly fine by me. Of course, I want to see them win as well, but I especially don't want to see anyone get hurt. Now, obviously, there are some injuries that simply cannot be avoided. Also, anyone who's played will tell you that the best way to get hurt is by playing not to get hurt rather than simply playing the way you know how to play. That said, I think there are some injuries that can be avoided. For instance, if you think of the injury Oseman sustained against Inted, that was a result of attacking the ball aggressively. Now, I'm not saying he shouldn't have done that. In that context, it made sense to go up aggressively, but it would be foolish to attack the ball in the same way in this match. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Napoli win, and I'll give the goals to Victor Osaman and Dries Mertens. I'm basing this prediction on the fact that we simply have more quality in the squad, even if we rotate some players. Also, as we saw at the beginning of the season and over the past few matches, this team performs much better when they are not under any pressure. I also feel like Thiago Mota kind of owes us this result. The rumor heading into the Girona and Data was that if Spezia lost that match, Thiago Mota was going to be relieved of his duties. Spezia had one win, two draws, and seven losses in their previous 10 matches. That win was the first of four wins in five matches for Spezia, and that ultimately saved Thiago Mota his job. At the end of the day, this result doesn't really mean much. I just don't want to hear about how we drop points to Empley and Spezia in both fixtures this season. And most of all, I don't want to see the comparisons to Gattuso's season from last year. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at ForzaNapoliPod. I'll be back next week to review this match as well as the Primavera's first leg of the relegation playout, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network.